Now, True Wealth, presented by Little John Financial Services. Here are David Littlejohn and Katie Shook with True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. All right, gang, welcome back to the greatest Tuesday you've had all week. We are stoked to be here. I am your host, Dave Littlejohn, and we've got an entire gaggle in the studio today for the True Wealth Radio Show. So uh, who who's for uh, Katie, you're first then, right? You're still here? <laughs> I'm still here. Okay. Accounted and present, or was it present and accounted for? Yeah. And then the question is, at what point do we just put you on payroll, Derek? One would think that any time would be appropriate. I see. So, uh, and so uh, again, one of our favorite attorneys, Derek Simmons. Today, uh, I'm going to have a, a session with him. We're going to pre-title it, Trust Me. Ooh, I like it. Yeah, trust me, I'm trust a lawyer. Me. It'll make sense. So, uh, <laughs> trust me, I'm a lawyer. Yes. Do you prefer lawyer or attorney? I usually use attorney, but I'll tell you why too. Nobody tells attorney jokes. Oh, that's true. <laughs> that what? is yeah. the primary reason. But there actually is. I can fix that. But there's a, there's a there's a there's a technical definition. So a lawyer is someone who's licensed to practice law. An attorney is someone who has a client. It is possible to be a lawyer and not be an attorney. Right. What if you're not licensed to practice law, but you stayed at a Holiday Inn Express? That is a crime. <laughs> okay. Oh, oh, David's like, yeah, so that's so not me. So I can't me. stay at a Holiday Inn Express? Well, I guess that's, uh, <laughs> you, and you practice law. I guess that's a key part. <laughs> I feel like somewhere there's a bunch of Holiday Inn Express managers going, Oh my Wait, God, what? who knew? <laughs> So this, this just got real. It's funny that you still, I, I don't even think that commercial has been on the air for like years. And yet funny. it's yours. It's still funny. And you know, I will tell you, every time I drive past a vacant lot, I think to myself, would Derek want that one as his go-kart track? Like that is now permanently embedded in my brain. That is a healthy response. And I appreciate that. Everywhere, like everywhere south of Eugene to Medford. I'm like, is that too far for him to drive? Would he consider that you, lot? You're asking the right <laughs> questions. You absolutely are. I'm on the lookout, Derek. I am. It's I'm, true I, wealth. I got I'm back. telling you. Right. Well, we've we've talked about this, right? True wealth is not having to commute to Medford or Portland to race go karts. That's exactly true. Right. So there you go. And we are convinced that if you build it, they will come. Right. This is, the, by the way, the worst business model possible <laughs> if you are <laughs> in the, some kind of business school course. Field of dreams business model. Right, right. But uh, that's really not how we're going down today. I don't recall the guy in Field of Dreams making a fortune. I think they stopped it when he was psychologically unbalanced enough that he saw the old the old players walking through the field. Is that right? No, but everybody saw the right. old players walk through the field. Right, the kids saw them too, it was like... And then they crossed so the line and it was his dad? Illusion or and, delusion together. And were the kids paying anything? No, no. They were not. It was a horrible business model. Yes. Yeah, because he, he tilled under his corn. To create the baseball field. Horrible. It's true. But, you know, the movie itself made good money, so maybe that was the design. That's wasn't the that deal. Ke- wasn't okay. that Kevin? I'm trying to think. So Kevin should Costner, we make yes. a movie about making a go-kart track? <laughs> I think it's inevitable, Dave. <laughs> is this a 10-part YouTube station instead? I already know what the would be. Oh. <laughs> that, was, that was a topic for another time. <laughs> Something about Boy Scout popcorn. Mm. So, okay, look, uh, we've got some things to discuss today. And one of them, we're gonna. We're, I'm trying a new thing a little bit. So this is gonna be a little bit of a segment. Okay, we'll see how that works. Okay, so in the first segment, we're gonna talk about the markets. Okay. And here's what you need to know: they came off all-time highs, uh, particularly the S&P. But the the Dow has been doing pretty well. The Nasdaq had roared back to near all-time highs, 
And the question is, uh, what's going on here? I mean, people have been asking me a lot, like, well, isn't the aren't we printing all this money? Isn't the stock market just going to crash and the economy is going to crater and everything? And to which my response is, are you ever tired of that conversation? No. Okay. No. Well, here's here's because I feel like it's always the chicken little. Like the sky is always falling, right? Are we due for a crash? When is a crash? Are we going to have a crash? Is there a crash? Will there be a crash at some point? Odds are good that yes. Okay, but here's what I have to remind people. Okay, this is a study in human nature. Okay, the markets right now are really a study in human nature and the way that we operate. Because you know what feels really good? Making money. Spending on a credit card. Oh. Right? You get it right now. I didn't have the money, but I still got the stuff. True. Okay, you know what I am, doesn't? I am breaking out in hives as you utter those words. Right. You know what feels really awful, though? Paying the bill. Paying the bill <laughs> later. Right? And that's the thing is our our political system, and this is, I can pick on everybody, right? Because there are so few that can get elected on a platform of fiscal responsibility and then actually follow through. Right? I mean, like, how many people actually follow through? Because it sounds good to say we need to rein in spending. But you know what? Constituents don't want less spending. They want less spending everywhere else but where they're at. They want you to spend in their backyard. Right. It's the polar opposite of the not in my backyard. Right, right. Like, spend in my backyard, right? Build a bridge to nowhere. It brings jobs to our area. Whatever. Right? And you know that the bridge to nowhere is a real reference, right? Yeah. Right. That was really happy. They built like bridges in Alaska that went nowhere. nowhere. That election was only like 12 and a half years ago. So there you go. Oh. The The point is that when you spend, that, there is a stimulative effect to spending. And the government, whether it is printing money or not, and I will I will argue that it is right. We are creating more currency, which is an engineering attempt at inflation. We're, we're trying to create inflation. Oh, I feel like inflation's here. Everything's gotten more expensive. Well, certainly parts of it are. But now we can't just turn off the spigot because there are other dynamics at play in the economy and because the economy is not equal across the board. True. Right? So inflation is happening in some areas more than others. Yeah, like gasoline. So to fast forward a little bit, what I think is going to happen is with inflation, the stock market will go up. It's just going to be worth less. Yes. Uh, ding, 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 that, ding, ding. That's, <laughs> that's really conceptually what's going to happen. Now, the stock market can go through periods of volatility because when you change the value of things, then it gets a lot harder for people to gauge what the future of something is worth, right? And you see this for long-term investors, right? You know, you can pretty well bet on if you're a long-term investor, then the pricing sort of shakes its way out. And historically, that's been the case. And unless the economy actually collapses, it sort of shakes itself out. Now, that's worked really well as long as the United States and as long as we can remember in modern history has been the world's global reserve currency. Right, which right. that's kind of or the being... world reserve currency. I don't think I need to call it the world's global, global reserve. That currency. does seem double redundant. <laughs> yeah, it's the redundancy department of redundancy. So <laughs> we're so anyhow. The idea though that inflation, I mean, it'll happen. Okay, so I'm just getting us back to that home base. It can dislocate the value because the economy's not going to all move at the same time. It's just like a train leaving. It's kind of herky-jerky, right? The first car pulls and the one behind it and the next one. Eventually, they're all moving, okay? But it's a little herky-jerky when it first gets started. And 
I suspect that that's what's going to go on. But remember, when you buy with a credit card, you get instant gratification. So if we get another infrastructure spending bill, uh, I don't know about you, but $2 trillion to me, that's a lot of money. Uh, yeah. Just saying. Right? On top of the other $4.5 trillion or so of other money that we've been doling out. This is, are we talking about me being on payroll yet? I'm just... That was seeming like a great yeah. I mean, I'm getting there. not okay. for two trillion though. Right. That not like for two trillion. Derek. Non circuitous route, right? Okay, and, sorry. Uh, Go we ahead. did not delineate which form of currency <laughs> we're going to use, but uh, two trillion pesos. <laughs> I, I, I was thinking more like somewhere for, I, like Confederate dollars or something, <laughs> oh, <hey>. right? <laughs> that would be super valuable for a collector of Confederate dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Yes. Two trillion U.S. dollars is a lot of money. Two trillion is a lot of money. Even, even if we're creating inflation, it's still a lot of money. It's it's a lot of it. And here's the, the argument is that we have two different forces at work. There are deflationary forces in the economy as well. Right. And that's actually the scarier of the two. Hyperinflation is scary. But to me, I think a deflationary spiral is scarier because that's sort of the uh, economic collapse model. If you start to see deflation occur where, where assets are worth less and less and less, and you think about we have a, a banking system that works on fractional reserves, and the banking system, everything that's backstopping stopping it, if all of that collateral starts to collapse, then the banks start to fail, which makes other collateral fail. You can actually get sort of an inversion or like a, an imploding house of cards effect. You're just, you're just all about fun today, aren't you, Dave? Yes, yes, I am. Well, what happened but, at breakfast? But I have to, I have to tell you the reason that this is important to all of our investors is when people say things like, "Oh man, you know, I, I think the market's going to crash," and they want to go do something really rash. I would say, first of all, there's no guarantee that inflation generates a crash. Okay, there, that's there's no guarantee that that occurs. Second of all, if you look at the rest of the things going on in the economy, if we were just given a big old credit card. The rest of the world's on board with it because they're doing the same stuff and vaccines are rolling out nationwide. And so we're looking at vaccine saturation in measured now in weeks, not necessarily, or, you know, weeks or maybe months in single digits. We're not talking about years here to do this. Then the return to a more robust economic landscape looks very promising. The pay for it later part, that comes later. Right, so the markets could continue to do more. The hangover is tomorrow morning. That's not it, tonight. right? As I always say, like, you know, the party's raging. The cops have been called, but they're not here yet. Then what do you do, right? Do you jump out the back window or do you keep partying? Well, that's a risk management decision now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's a risk management decision. Dave is reliving college. No. So, Question is, are you underage or overage? <laughs> overage, of course. Of yeah, course. No, 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 we're not breaking the law. We, somebody else was too loud. Oh, so, that's what it was. The that's noise, exactly noise pollution. Just a okay. victim of circumstance. That's uh-huh. how that was. Uh, anyhow, I hope everybody understands the idea that if, if you have a, a thesis that everything must collapse because of monetary printing, I think you need to examine... Uh, more facets to that thesis. I think it's a little too limited in scope. And I would say that, look, I can make a prediction. It will be right. And I can guarantee it'll be right. But you're not going to tell us when. I won't tell you when. And so that's the trick, right? The markets will go higher. Like like the S&P 500 can hit 5,000 at some point. Right. That's the conversation Dave gets tired of having, which is 
can you time the market for me? <laughs> yeah. And the answer That's is, what we talked about. And the breakfast. answer is, oh, is I, really? <laughs> I can time the market. I just can't necessarily assure it'll be right. <laughs> right? That's the old joke, too, is every market, every trade is a timing decision, right? It's just maybe not with any intention other than, well, other circumstances dictated the trade. But some people literally try to time the market, and that's just statistically, we'll leave it improbable. So bottom line, and I don't want to beat this drum any longer than we already have, is that uh, don't assume that just because you think that there's some kind of economic things at play that the outcome is guaranteed. It's a sophisticated model with lots of moving parts happening around the globe and everybody's trying to game the same thing. So you'd have to be not just smarter than everybody else, but really smarter than everybody else and everybody else has to be wrong at the same time too. That's kind of tricky. So we'll see. All right. With that, I, I've got to ask, yeah, we've got to take the break. So nailed it there with the engineers. Thank you. Uh, the music means stick around because we're coming right back where we are going to say, you know, trust me, I'm an attorney or I have one in studio. But we got to take this obscene profit break first. So stick around. We'll be right back. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Katie Shuck. And Derek Simmons. And you got True Wealth on News Radio 1240. KQEN. Hey gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show. I am your host, Dave Littlejohn. In studio with me today, I've got, uh oh, she, everybody wants I'm, to text, right? No, so, I'm here, I'm listening. This is the mom know, here. Uh, what happens is people actually communicate with us via text because we don't take call. We, we should take calls. I'm going to put in a request to the engineer so we can take calls again. Uh, Derek, thanks for joining us today. Absolutely. I understand that you can legally practice law. I legally can. It's true. Okay. Now, what makes it legal? Well, you have to pass the bar exam. That's the key part. Really? Really. And then to make it hard, in order to sit for the bar exam, you have to graduate from an accredited school. You know, that seems like, what if I could just take the bar exam and pass it? You know, they do that in some states. They do do some, they really? Well, they do, but it's a it's an apprenticeship thing. So you have to have a certain number of years apprenticing with a licensed attorney, and then you take yeah. you take the exam, you, and it's a little bit longer exam because they're testing some different things. Because they really want to make sure you know what you're supposed to do. That I could take the test. I am relatively confident that you could also take the test. Yes. I noticed how you didn't say pass. You just said take well, the test. You need to get technical now, don't you? Yeah. No. No. Um, I that's could, your fault. You taught me. I. <laughs> I am relatively sure that I could complete the test. You want to know a weird thing about the bar exam? It is the bar exam and law school are all about, well, probably 80% about background, how we got where we are, why are statutes structured the way they are, where did it come from, what's the logic behind it? Is, uh, it, is it multiple choice? Uh, parts of it, a part of it's multiple choice, and part of it's exam. I feel like I have a, a fighting chance at guessing that way. Yeah, you got to pass both parts independently. I see. You can't just uh, nail the multiple choice and then fail the the written part of it. But at any rate, what if it was badly written? I don't, why am I going down this path? I don't, I don't wanna, know. I don't why take, is all of a sudden your interest yeah, in law? I don't. Well, there's not. But when he said <laughs> I couldn't practice because it would be a crime, and I thought to myself. Hey, that's offensive. Maybe I should make it so that I can do that. You could just totally. Oh, David. That would show me. Law does not sound inclusive right now. It sounds like there's barriers to entry. No, that's the theory. See, once I'm in the club, I don't want anybody else in the club. Right. See, this goes back to my how do you make more money in life? Because money is simply how you trade your time. So there's only two ways to make more, right? 
Scarcity and leverage. What you're suggesting is you're contributing to the scarcity club. Well, actually, I, you know, I'm encouraging people to retire just as quickly as they can, you know. Any competitors I may have out there, go right ahead. It's like if you want to be done, and, and and you know what, I would encourage those folks to go ahead and come and see us, and we will happily help them with their retirement plan. That sounds like fun. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we've now that we've had that out, so I'm I'm going to title this one "Trust Me," and it's because I want to talk about trusts. Okay. Okay. Now, Derek, I understand that you on occasion do some estate planning. I absolutely do. Okay, now for our listeners, what the heck is estate planning? Well, when I say estate planning, I am talking about creating a will or a trust that disposes of your assets when you're done with them. So it's gonna throw your stuff away. If necessary, if that's what you wanna do, actually no, you have to tell somebody else that you want them to throw it away for you. Okay, so this is me being obnoxious, but at the same time, you know, some of our listeners are like, I don't really want my will to dispose of stuff, but you're, yeah, you're, you're giving it away. Yeah, it's, it's, it says you, you're, something happens to your stuff when you're gone. It's like the question that my kids ask each other. When you die, can I have your stuff? <laughs> and that's the answer is you're telling the world, here's who gets my stuff when I die. Well, and I would take that one step further. Before you decide who gets your stuff, you should ask them if they actually want your stuff. Because sometimes... No, 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 no. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> oh, you should or you, you don't have to. You don't have to. No, no, no. But here's my thing, right? Like you may think, well, first of all, I will use myself as an example. There's some very um, expensive artwork in our family. Now, it is not my taste necessarily in art, but that doesn't mean that there's not a good value to it. And without knowing that knowledge ahead of time, it shouldn't go for $10 at a yard sale because it's worth hundreds or thousands. It's, my parents have specifically said, if you do not want it, make sure you contact an art gallery and make sure it kind of goes in the right path. So I'm just saying like certain things, you don't have to talk about all your stuff. Well, my theory is that nobody inherits anything until I die. I can change my mind to the last minute. I'm not asking them any questions at all because I don't want to set any expectations. Ah. I've actually told my children, I plan to spend it all before I die. <laughs> I've heard this, this theory this many only times. This applies if I fail. <laughs> oh, so don't expect anything. I'm not going to ask them whether they want it or not. If I give it to them and they don't want it or they don't know how to do it, how to deal with it. There's a magic thing you can do. That's theirs. They can ask somebody. Yeah, they can disclaim it and just say, not my they problem. They can also do that. Right? Yeah. So, so I, I know we're, we're, we're being a little silly, but not really. The, the point here is... For the language, an estate is your stuff, right? Now, that's just kind of a, the, the naming nomenclature, if you will. But all the stuff that you've accumulated in your life, or if you're married, the stuff that you and your spouse have accumulated is part of your estate. Now, why do I include the spouse in this equation? Because there's special tax exemptions for spouses. And if you don't write a will down... Uh, this is my favorite. I, you got to correct me if I say this wrong because I don't get to practice law, right? Right. Yeah. This is like on. Um, this is like your Miranda rights. Like if you don't have an attorney, one can be provided. Well, if you don't have a will, the state will provide you with. Has one. provided one for you. <laughs> yes, that says a few things. Yeah, and so there are some things that, by statute, also known as statutory. Well, so they, by statute, will say if you don't say what happens, this is what we're going to do. That's so what are some of the examples of things that they say are going to happen oh, yeah. to your stuff? So the easy ones. Okay. If you are married yes. and you have children and all of your children are in common with your spouse, you're not a blended family, then when you die, everything goes to your spouse. And when she dies without a will, 
everything goes to the children in equal part. Okay. It gets more complicated if you've got a blended family or if you write a will that says, well, actually, let's do a blended family. No wills. So uh, husband dies and half goes to his spouse and half goes to his kids. Because those are his heirs. Because those are his heirs. So it doesn't all go to his spouse? That is correct. If it's a blended family, only half goes to the spouse and half goes yeah. to the kids. This oh. is, again, if you don't have, have a will. Here's See, the I didn't thing. know that because I would have assumed all of it went straight to the wife. And let's suppose there's a bunch of money there, okay? And I, I often use my favorite 13-year-old as an example. <laughs> if he inherited the house... He would tear it down and build a dirt bike track. Not go-karts? <laughs> Not go-karts. That's the crazy part. Oh, wow. Come on, 13-year-old. But here's the thing. Um, I don't want uh, money to screw up his life by him inheriting it early. I want him to have the opportunity to take out his own student loans and make his own way in the world so that he can feel good about having accomplished that. So I'm going to stretch out the money. Okay. I'm going to stretch out the money over you know 20 years and let him become a full adult and have his brain fully done cooking before I give him the bulk of it. Now, that has an expiration date, right? Like, so say you stretched it out until he was 30 and, you know, you live a very long life and now he's I could stretch 40. it out for about 90 years if I wanted Really? To. Well, in, in some states, even longer. There right? are some with perpetual. Yeah, they have dynasty trust environments and things, which gets complicated and sort of typically unnecessary. But, you know, this is... For the purposes of this segment, allow me to keep us from getting terribly deep in the weeds because I have a question that I think a lot of our listeners probably wonder about. So it's the will we've already said. Like when if you want to say what happens to your stuff, you know why you need a will, right? Because the state will either give you one, but if you want specific things, you need to write it down. Because here's the deal: first of all, you're dead, so you can't give the stuff away. And guess what? If it's got your name on it, on a title, you can't sign to give it away. So the will has to give instructions to who in order to get this done. The personal representative. In a lot of states, this is called the executor. But it's somebody that you name in your will who said that, that you're saying, this person I'm asking to settle my affairs for me once I die. Now, of course, that person can later say, uh, not me, man. I don't want any part of this. They can, res they can step aside and somebody else can volunteer or maybe you have a backup, but the personal representative is the person who uh, handles what uh, settling your affairs are. Right, and here's the deal. They can't sign for you either unless the, a legal authorization occurs for them, which is what the whole process, when you die, your will has to be legally sort of authorized, if you will, in a process called Probate. Probate. Yes, right? this is this is the legal. Th this is the system that transfers assets from a dead guy's name into a live person's name, and we want that to be a little bit formal because otherwise you'd die and all your stuff would just disappear. Exactly. Right? So we want this to go through a process, and so the personal representative goes to the court and says, "Hey, a dead guy died, and I volunteer to settle his affairs, and I'm sending notice to everybody that might expect to inherit something." And they have some time to object to me being personal representative. And if they don't, then I'm appointed personal representative. Then I publish in the newspaper, hey, dead guy died. If you think he owed you money, speak now or forever hold your peace. 
Right, because how are you supposed to know about it, all of his outstanding exactly. affairs? Exactly. I mean, you're going to get some bills in the mail and stuff, but right. there, there are but people who knows? out there There's who all, don't know. So that's the public notice. So it's public notice, and then they have four months to make a claim. And then at the end of four months, you go back to the court and say, all right, I reviewed everything the guy had. I reviewed uh, all the claims that we think were good. These are the ones we think were bogus. These are the heirs or beneficiaries. Here's what we're going to do with all the stuff. And then everybody I just mentioned gets a notice of this. And they can complain or they can not complain. And if they don't, then boom, it all gets distributed. So that's probate. One thing about it is Oregon's probate is like six to nine months, you know, in our neck of the woods. Mm-hmm. Before you get into court? No, no. no, from no when that's you, the from process when the person, of like, yeah. we started probate and you can't just say like, you got a week to get back to me or we're going to give the stuff away. It's like there's... There's time Got it. periods so, to let everybody respond to this. Right, because you said there's time for everybody to submit their stuff, and then right. there's time to say yes or no, and so public notice. And just, you're, Even if you do it quickly, it's going to take six months because you've got that four months of sitting on your hands waiting for creditors to tell you that they think the dead guy owed you money. Got it. So that is probate. So then we talked about will versus trust. The way you avoid having a probate. You see, he's going where I want him to go now. Yes. Because can I ask the question first? Go ahead. Because I want our listeners to pull this out of their mind for a second, right? When when you die, your will means you go, you go to court and you have a probate process. Now, that's because you have to, the, the courts have to help transfer title from dead guy. Right. Who can't now, sign anything. If you don't want to go through that process, then you can use a different legal structure to hold the title to things. And so what I, if you could, Derek, help our listeners understand what a trust is. And before you answer, let, let me remind you, trusts are not, let me tell you what they're not real quick. Trusts are not mystery tools of the rich to avoid ever paying <laughs> taxes forever. Dad nabbit. Okay? Yeah, they're not that. Trusts are not mythical things that live on a foreign island that hide everybody's assets from the IRS or creditors, okay? They are very interesting, very useful tools. They're often misunderstood, but we're gonna unpack it. But guess what? We gotta take an obscene profit break first. So let's do that. And then when we come back, a little bit more of, trust me, I'm a lawyer, but we got to take this break. This is Dave Littlejohn and Katie Shook and Derek Simmons. And you got True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. Hey, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show. I know it is probably the greatest Tuesday you've had all week. And we are thrilled to have you here in studio with me, Katie Shook and Derek Simmons. Right. And if you were just joining us, check out the podcast. We are talking about all kinds of fun stuff. And you tune in just in time for what we have very cleverly, I have to tell you it's clever so you believe me, right? Cleverly titled, Trust Trust Me, me. I'm a Lawyer. Okay. And I'm an attorney. That sounds so much less dragnet uh so try and trust me i'm an attorney friday uh, good friday exactly streeback so jeez as it's getting cheesy in we here. were talking about estate planning where your stuff goes when you croak right and we talked about probate 
which sounds complicated. And then I asked you, Derek, about trusts, because, you know, trust you, you're an attorney, right? So can you talk about trusts? I can. So first, let's let's put probate into context. It's a little bit complicated. It's not as bad as it sounds. I mean, it took us all of about three minutes to describe how it works. It's not that bad. And in legal timelines, six months is not a long time. Uh, but in other states, it takes longer. In California, it may take five years, which is why everybody that comes from California has a trust. So the idea on a trust is, instead of waiting until I die to, to have the court transfer my assets, I transfer them now. I Wait a minute, you give them away now? I give them away to something that I control. So you're not actually like giving your, your assets away to your yeah, kids and other like, people. You don't really control your kids. I've tried. <laughs> no, and I can't control mine either. But anyway, that's the idea is you give them, you, you transfer your assets into trust. And, and what the way it's actually written is I transfer to the trustees in trust under this contract that I've written. This is my favorite when I say, what? All right. What the heck is a trustee? Why did you just do that, Derek? Yeah. Yeah. What is a trustee? The trustee is the person who's taking the instructions from the trustor. The trustor okay. is the person with the assets to start. Okay, that's they, the yeah, or the grantor. They, so they write this contract that. and transfer these assets to the trustee who holds the assets only to follow the instructions in the trust. And usually the trustee is yourself or you and your spouse, but it doesn't have to be, usually, right? It can but not be not always, yes. And there's can also be successor trustees. There, there always should be successor trustees. Yes. Okay. So, is a grantor and a settler and a trustor all, all the, the same, same thing? thing? Yes. Okay. Yeah. See, sneaking in language there. Well, no, because you, I've seen them all. Oh, yep. depending absolutely. on absolutely. And by the way, living trust, loving trust, marital trust. Most of the time, same thing. Really, when you're talking about a trust, there are only two kinds. There's a revocable trust, which means I can put it in trust or I can take it out. I can add stuff. I it can means take you can stuff change out. your mind. I can basically. change my mind. Or an irrevocable trust where I cannot. I Once I transfer it in, I have no control right. over it. Right. And it's, it's, if you can change your mind, it's still your stuff. If you can't change your mind, it's really not your stuff anymore. There are legal reasons that that can be advantageous. And let me tell you. If you have lots and lots of money, okay, and when I say lots and lots, okay, you, quantify that a little bit. Let's say that if you're a single person with over eleven million dollars in assets, okay, you should think about an irrevocable You should think trust. about calling our firm, <laughs> and then we're going to talk to you about strategies because here's what happens: for everything above that threshold, without proper estate planning. First of all, everything more than a million dollars of stuff, if you live in the state of Oregon and you die, the state of Oregon says, I'd like some of that now that you're dead. And That's people called, it's a death tax or an estate tax. Well, the federal threshold is much higher, right? There's a certain amount that they don't tax. So if you have I think it's eleven and a half million for it each is. person. So it's eleven and a half million and per person, but remember, without proper structuring, when you're married filing jointly, the IRS thinks you're one person. Well, that's that's a good thought. Federally, actually, it automatically doubles. You don't have to do any extra. Well, that's handy. So, so if you're married, twenty-three million. If you're single, eleven and a yeah, half. Yeah, but here's the idea: if you've got more than that, the irrevocable trust becomes your friend. Okay. Now, we're not going to delve into that on this program because most of our listeners 
probably don't have $23 million. And but by the way, briefly after class. Yeah, but we'll if help. you do, certainly call us after class. If you do not know about this, definitely call us. And, and this say, is not financial advice telling you to get one either. It's saying we need to talk point, about. I will tell you, I will take the legal risk of saying, ah, if there you've you got go. that much money and you're not doing estate planning, I don't know what the, I don't know how you damage somebody saying, get help. Right. Like, <laughs> so I'm like, I don't think I'm going out on a limb here taking risks saying, Fair you enough. should probably mind the store a little bit here. Yeah, if it helps any, I bless that comment. It's oh, actually, there you go. True. Okay. Yeah. So, so if we get in trouble, Derek's about, defending us. Yeah, it's <laughs> like if the SEC were to catch me on the radio saying like, wait, you said people should get advice if they're worth millions and millions of dollars? I'm like, uh-huh. And now, I'm, you know what I think they're going to say? They're going to go, yeah, yeah right. they should. Good call. <laughs> yeah, good call. So we not agree. worried about that one. But but back to the trust element here. We help me out. I, if I, what I'm asking you to do is correct me if I'm interpreting this wrong for our listeners. I view a trust as sort of like creating a, its own little operation. It, it, you know, I don't want to call it a company that'll confuse people, but it's like a little contract, a contract that has says, "Here's the team of people." Right? The trustees are the people in charge of making, following the instructions written here. This is my set of instructions. They follow the instructions. Me is the grantor or the trustor or the other settler. settler. I'm the one that writes the contract. The trustees are the ones that do the contract. That is correct. Okay. And that contract can hold title to stuff like my house. My can car. Be in the title of the contract or my car. Anything that can hold title can be in that contract's name. And in fact, if you're trying to avoid probate, you want the trust to have all of your assets. Right. As my, and uh, with with one exception, and I'll get to that, right? The, the one exception is retirement plans. If it's not good language, you can create problems. Oh, right. And I'm thinking retirement plans are a different sort of contract. Correct. That's tying and up we'll talk about it because retirement plans have their own list where it's at the end. If you die with like an IRA or a 401k or something, it says who gets it. So we'll talk about that in a second. But for this trust, this set of instructions, the set of instructions includes who's authorized, who like the trustees. And if I'm the grantor, I can also be the trustee. You can. But the beauty of it is when I die, if I was a trustee, I name who's next in line and the court doesn't have to step in to authorize it. The contract remains valid after I die. That is correct. And that's a, that is a revocable trust as I just described it. And maybe a shorter way to say that is I'm actually taking my assets and I'm tying them, tying them to this contract. Yes. And when I tie them to this contract, that means the court doesn't have to deal with it when I die. Okay. And that's literally what the instructions are. Now, if you, if, the complexity lies in the details, right? Like some trusts, it's a contract that gets its own tax identification number. Okay. Right. And that means that it's not linked to my social security number anymore. It gets its own tax number. And if that's the case, it gets its own tax return. Okay. Or at least in many cases, and remember, I'm not giving tax advice. I'm just giving you guys the heads up that if you create a trust that gets its own tax ID, it can potentially get its own tax return. Yes, and when we get that far, when we when we create the trust, you will want to get your accountant involved to get the tax ID number and right. advise you on that part of it. Yeah, so the, the, the question that everybody's gonna ask right now is, is this expensive? And should I do this or should I just do a will? Good question. So 
trusts almost always cost considerably more than wills. Okay, so considerably more. Let's not talk dollars as much as maybe percentages. Okay. Uh, like three times more kind Trust of thing? will cost two or three times more than okay. a will. Yes. Okay. And sometimes more than that, depending on how complicated the will would be if you were doing it that right. way. Um, so basically, but more assets, more complication. It is. And well, more instructions too. And there's also more following up on stuff because the worst thing you can do is to pay for a trust, pay the big number for a trust and not put all the assets in it and then have those assets still go through probate. So right. we're talking about cost. Mm -hmm. Let's say that a will is a, a will is a, a, a number that's let's call it a thousand dollars. Let's use that because it's good. a nice round number. Exactly. OK, so a will is a thousand dollars. And let's say a trust is thirty five hundred dollars. OK, just for round numbers. And these numbers are actually not way out to lunch, but they can be depending on your circumstance. And just keep that in what mind. You're doing. Yeah. But anyway, uh, probate costs about twenty five hundred dollars. Ooh. All right. So as you can see, you after you die and it goes through probate, it's about the same cost as the trust. Right. You're just prepaying it. I'm paying it. I'd rather pay it after I die personally. So I have a will. But <laughs> but uh, you could pay it in advance and get that done so that they don't have to go through court. So then one might ask, why would you do this? What are the reasons you would want to trust instead of a will if you have to pay sooner? And it costs more, or at least you have to pay sooner, whether it costs more or not. And the answers, there are two, actually there are three. First of all, if you own property in another state, you would have to have a probate in every state where you have property. Oh, that sounds like a headache. Now that probate cost just went up, right? Right. Well, and the length of time potentially could have gone up. Because again, we mentioned California. California, no doubt. It could be in probate forever. For years. <laughs> Good long time. So at any rate, if you own property in another state, you should seriously consider a trust. Yeah. The second one is if you have an heir that you want to write out of the will so much that you don't ever want them to know that you died. Oh, the black sheep of the family. I mean, people don't control their kids as much as they'd all like to control their kids. And it's not just mine I'm talking about here. <laughs> or, or mine, evidently. But, you know, if they go up, if they grow up and go off the rails... And you don't want to have to send, you don't want them to get notice when you die because you know they're just going to cause problems. And by the way, we say kids, it could be a sibling. It what could. about if they don't have children? It could easily be a sibling it they don't be. want their money to go if to. If you have a family member, all right, semantic, go on, Derek. <laughs> and finally, the last one is, if you've got enough money that you never want that to appear in a court filing. Right. Because in a probate, your assets will be listed. Public general, record. And it is a public record. Now, in my 20 years of practice, I've never heard of somebody complaining about a person going down, leafing through the Douglas County records and then targeting a beneficiary, but it is possible. So at some level, somewhere like six, seven, eight million dollars, you start going, well, maybe I'll just put it in a trust so that it doesn't have to appear in the public record. Probably yeah. more probable in uh, high net worth areas. <laughs> well, it is. It's real. Here's the thing. Net worths are starting to sneak up with inflation. And the trick is, if your net worth, uh, you know, if inflation doesn't keep up with the laws or vice versa, I suppose, you know, more people are going to run into these elements here. Right? Right. So this is not something that you should just file away as, oh, that's in the never file. It may become relevant. And again, Oregon's estate tax threshold is significantly lower. 
essentially once you hit a million dollars, your eyebrows should go up and you should start asking questions. But look, uh, I know that there's a couple other things that you can do from an estate planning perspective that are really low hanging fruit. Right. And we're talking about like you don't need a will or a trust or anything. So, but I'm sensing that I'm not going to tell you right now. You will after our last break. There so we go. well played, sir. Uh, that is what we uh, will call a teaser because we want you guys to stick around. So we'll be right back. This is Dave Littlejohn and Katie Shuck and Derek Simmons. You're listening to True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. Hey, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show. Uh, oh, I love that you kind of sung it. It's a little bit of a jingle. I'll get there. <laughs> she's she's trying to look. We'll talk about jingles when we get our own music on this show. Uh, okay. That's but, only been, what, five years now? Eh. And still, they're just like, we don't do that for you. I'm like, really? They'll I, do it like on our very last show. They'll create some special music and they'll be like, really? Now? I really? I hope that that's decades from now because I love doing It will be. Show. All right. So, so yeah, last segment of yeah, the we're, show. So we're, we're finishing up. And again, Derek, thanks for joining us today. Absolutely. You know, it's I, I, I love the fact that we've got uh, competent, qualified, and evidently non-criminal legal advice on fun? the show. So, non-criminal. Yes. Uh, if you're just catching us, this is a good show to get the podcast on. Go to littlejohnfs.com. It'll be posted tomorrow under the educate section of our webpage, and you'll see we've got a bunch of podcasts that go all the way back to the beginning of this program. And what we've covered today, and it's it's cute, right? It's fun. It's trust me, I'm a our attorney. I'll go I'm with it. I'm an attorney. So yes. trust me, I'm an attorney. So Derek, we've been talking about estate planning. You've talked up to us about the concept of a will. Versus a trust. probate. We've talked about trusts and some of the elements there. We've talked very high level about sort of the federal versus state death taxes i'll just call them death taxes on this program because it's probably what our listeners are going to understand and i wanted to bring up the low-hanging fruit right estate planning in our minds often sounds really sophisticated and complicated really complicated like oh boy that's going to be expensive i got to get a bunch of lawyers and stuff but it doesn't have to be what is the low-hanging fruit of estate planning. Yeah, it's the there, easiest stuff. There are a couple of things you can do. If It's particularly easy if you have only one child and you intend to leave everything to them. Just add their name to all of your accounts and all of your assets if you intend to leave everything to them and you have only one. Right. Now, and now I'm going to caution on one thing, by the way. Real estate. Well, no. I'm going to caution that naming somebody is... The, the way you title it, is it a transfer on death versus joint account? There's a tax difference in this. Correct. You're absolutely right. So Correct. When you're, talking about, um, when you're talking about joint ownership with right of survivorship, then you keep the basis of the person who owned it to start with. The, the new person keeps the old person's basis, right. which means when they sell it, they pay more taxes. Right. Now, basis is the acquisition cost. When you, let's say if you buy a house and we're not talking about a residence, let's just say you bought a, a rental property and 10 years later you sell it, you bought it for 100,000 and you sell it for 500,000. First of all, high five, good job. But taking all of the other tax considerations away of depreciation or anything else, it was just purely $400,000 of profit. That's what you pay taxes Your on. Your basis is what you started, what you paid for initially. Your profit is what you sold it for minus what you bought it for. 
not the whole thing. You sold it for 500, but you had $100,000 of starting capital. That's basis. And so Derek, if I'm translating correctly, when you add a name to an account, essentially you're maintaining the original basis. That is correct. Right, so this is particularly important with today's tax law. If you do that with real estate, you could be adding a lot of tax burden to somebody that's gonna sell that property one day. And the other thing to know about that is you can't undo it without the without both people signing off on it. Right. So it, it but it is easy, right? There's no Very will easy. or trust or anything else. So if it's appropriate, you can just add a name to the title. There's another easy one with a lot of financial institutions, right? Transfer on death. Transfer on death. That also works on real estate. So what you do is you say, I am I am transferring this account from my name to my name, transfer on death to my only child or my spouse or whatever. Right. Now that does not, that doesn't affect basis because it's yours until you die and then we know who gets it next. Yes, and they get a step up in basis. They right. get the step up in basis that right. happens when I Right, because they don't really own it. You didn't give it to them as joint ownership. You give it to them to own after you die, hence the transfer on. And you can change your mind. Right. And then the last one is simply with retirement plans and so forth. Many of them allow you to simply write, who is your beneficiary? If I die, who gets it? And contingent beneficiary. Right. So backups to the backup. Yeah. So that is that is common in retirement plans and insurance contracts, whether they're annuities or life insurance and so forth. Uh, the, the gotcha, I'll throw this one in. Remember, life insurance death benefits, if you're the owner of the contract, those do count as estate assets when you croak. Okay, if that doesn't make sense, see me after class. Derek, what's the one thing people should do? The one thing you should not do is ignore it. You should either get a will or you should complete the low hanging fruit or you should get a trust, but you should do something because right. you're leaving a mess. All right, gang, well, there you have heard it. So uh, the music's playing, which you know what that means. Derek, how do they reach you? My number is 541-677-7185. Katie, how do they reach us? 541-375-0898. All right, we're out of time. Until next time, this has been True Wealth. Thanks for joining us. The preceding program was paid for by Little John Financial Services. The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brook Communications, its affiliates, or its employees.